confidence comes when we know ourselves enough to, to walk in this world and not feel challenged all the time. And that's a stage that's not everyone gets to. You know, like you said, it's hard to, to walk in our shoes and to be in our in our space and in, in my headscarf and not feel challenged or not feel I am so often the only Arab in the room, the only Arab woman in the room, the only Arab woman wearing a headscarf in the room. And to me, I I stopped thinking of that as a bad thing. I started thinking of that as, you know what, I am the first, but I hope I'm not the last. Sarah Abu Rashid is a Palestinian-American poet, speaker, and storyteller. She describes herself as Palestinian by blood, Syrian by memory, American by citizenship, Eastern in upbringing, and Western in residence. Sarah refers to this medley of identities as constantly mapping home. Because of this constant mapping, Sarah began performing a one-woman show called A Map of Myself, My Odyssey to America, which discusses identity, belonging, immigration, and finding home. She has been called an inspiration, and her work has led her to keynote at numerous conferences, give a TEDx talk, be nominated for a Pushcart Prize, and perform in the Tenement Museum of New York City. For this episode on Latinx, I asked Paula, one of the awesome interns of Latinx, to lead this interview with Sarah, who is her TA at Denison University. With Sarah, we talk about the Arab culture and its similarities to the Latinx culture, misconceptions, as well as the feeling of having many identities that this increasingly diverse generation has. Hola, yo soy Andrea Márquez, and this is Latinx a show brought to you by La Red Hispana and the Hispanic Communications Network for the new generation of Latinx. We want to go beyond listening. We're ready to speak up. So join me in conversation every week as I meet Latinx from all over, de diferentes colores y sabores. As you know, a podcast is a journey, and I would love for you to follow this one. So join our community on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at Latinx and reach out. You can also find out more at our website at wearelatinx.com. So I am Palestinian. Um, I'm originally Palestinian. I've never been to Palestine. I was born in Damascus, Syria to um, my parents who are also Palestinian but never been. And our, our story of immigration begins long before I was born in 1948 when my grandmother was only three when she left Palestine. They settled in Syria in refugee camps, and soon they realized, you know, they're not going back. So these camps became entire cities filled with Palestinians. And I, I lived there my entire life. It was just really special to be with people of your same background. And I have family members who came here in the 80s, which made it easier for us to come here. And when the Syrian war started, We, we knew we had to leave. So I came to the U.S. when I was 13. In what ways would you say that moving to the U.S. impacted your life? Oh, in all the ways possible. Um, I think that is the turning point. Um, you know, all my life, I was in a certain part of the world, and then suddenly I was on 
the opposite end. I, I, I came to the US not speaking any English. I think that is the most um, significant event of my life because, yeah, I found myself, you know, entering high school, not knowing any English and having just literally escaped a war. I feel like at least hearing that sometimes that can be scary having to share your journey with other people. So what would you say inspired you to kind of want to get this message out into the world? I've always been a poet and it's funny when I say poetry is often the reason I do many things and it is the reason I share my story now because when I came here to the US I I struggled to learn the language but I learned it in an exceptionally short time because I I just love languages in in general and I love writing and I love expressions language gives us so I found myself just fascinated by English and I immediately started writing. Now, of course, my early writings were terrible, wrong grammar, bad, bad, you know, vocabulary. But that became the motivation for me to to learn the language and to become, um, you know, better at it and a, and a better communicator. For those listeners who don't really know anything about a map of myself, how would you describe mm-hmm. that? A map of myself is I, it's it's a one woman show. Let me start there. <laughs> it's my way of telling my story in an empowering and educational manner that joins all of my passions, which are poetry, storytelling, theater, uh, public speaking. Before Map of Myself, I used to share my story, you know, in about five to 10 minutes in different circles. I would write poems about being Palestinian, being an immigrant, having a complicated identity in America. But one time I was in New York City at the Tenement Museum, which is really known for um, putting on these shows and these, um, you know, events to celebrate immigrant backgrounds. And I was the youngest speaker there and I started speaking about my story. And at the end of that night, I realized I had so much more to say. And my, my director, who became the director of the show, Uh, was there that night. And that's when I said, you know, we think we can really do something big. And we ended up with a map of myself, which is 75 minutes of of storytelling. I've seen one woman show in my whole life. Um, And it was off Broadway with, it was Jackie Kennedy's story. I was very skeptical of watching it. I went to see it more than anything because my university professor said it was for extra credit to be completely honest. (laughs) And I went there. I was immediately thinking this is going to be a very, very tough hour and a half. I brought M&Ms, I remember, because I was like, I'm going to need this chocolate. And I loved it so much that when it was was over, I was like, how was that only that? Why was this so short? It should have been two hours. And a lot of people might think that having one person speak on their own for that long might be difficult. And if if the story is good, one person or 50 people telling the story, if the story is good, the story is good, right? It's like listening to your grandfather tell you stories about when he was young or your parents and they can be talking by themselves and you'll listen. Have you ever been told how challenging it's it is to be able to do what you're doing? Has anyone sat you down and been like, do you know how hard for any performer it is to be able to do this and yet you're doing it? 
and have these people engaged for this amount of time? I I wasn't told that. I'll, I'll be completely honest. I wasn't told how hard it will be. I wasn't told how exciting it will be. Um, it was it was a journey in all meanings of the word because, as you said, I am not uh, a theater person. I'm not somebody with the expertise and the discipline to to rehearse a play and to do it over and over and to um, yeah I, I had nothing to do with that world and to this day I still don't think I, I I fit in that category so I think what I did is actually use the tools of theater um, to to tell a story in a, in a new way and I didn't even go about it in a traditional theater way. Um, you know, we did a map of myself as a community project. We had community sponsors who got people in the seats, who funded theater rentals. Um, and it was, it was fantastic. It was just a completely different perspective. And I, I don't know how I did it, to, to tell you the truth. But I can tell you um, that when I first started sharing the idea with people, some people said, you know, that would make for a great senior year project, or that would be great down the line. Few people really supported, um, oh yeah, do it now, do it immediately. And that was the risk. You know, I was only, um, that, that was two years ago. I was only 18 when I started working on this. And then a year later it launched and it was, it was a big deal. I think your question about how, because you at some point said that you don't know how you did it. At least I've noticed this within like our Arabic coffee hours because we have these like weekly coffee hours or kahwa hours to just kind of learn about the culture and all this stuff. You put your heart and soul into this and you're very passionate about wanting to educate others. Throughout the two years that I've been at Denison, everyone's always raving about you, Sarah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. It's You're also now a, what's the scholar name that you just got? Binary so scholar. Exactly. Like that is a very prestigious scholar um, position or title to obtain. So I think that throughout the years, it's just, it's been interesting for me to see how like all of this has progressed. Hey guys, if you like our content, make sure to support us by downloading our episodes on Spotify or Apple podcasts. Share with your community and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at Latinikis. You can also find out more on our website at wearelatinikis.com. It was really good that it happened then because I struggled a lot um, in my first two years at Denison to make friends and to make connections. And that was all I needed to, um, to tell my story and to tell it big. Would you say that because of how open-minded you were, I guess, when sharing your story that helped you create some new bridges at Denison or? I would say I'm a lot more open than most people. Sometimes I like to remind myself that you know, I like to create distance, but not to freak myself out of, about how much I am sharing in the play because, you know, you, you need that to be, to be sane and to say, I'm telling everything from my great grandmother's story to my uncle, to this, to that. I hope that it helped people open up and I hope that um, it, it created bridges. It's strange to start a friendship out of you sharing so much and then you expecting that same amount of someone else.
So I think my my strongest friendships were reinforced by the play, but not necessarily started because of it. Do you think that also definitely just sharing your story kind of helped too? Because Denison is not that diverse as much as they, you know, as much as we want to pride it in being diverse, it just, it's not there yet. It's definitely something they're working towards, but it's not there yet. So often I feel like sometimes it's kind of easy to have students in this like bubble environment. But do you think that some of those students who maybe were weary of you or your story in the past, do you think that it maybe this sharing your story kind of shifted that perspective that they had? I think so, yes. And that was consistent with different audiences. So at at Denison's campus, I did it only once. Uh, But something very, very nice happened where um, some people organized a bus to come see it in, in Columbus. And that was when a lot of students made, you know, an intentional effort to come see the play at the Columbus Museum of Art. And I would say it definitely attracted people from all different groups, different demographics. And in a way, it it wasn't so much about me, it was also about them finding how similar we are deep down um, and how similar everyone is and how everyone's story is, is worthy of being told. Do you think that conversations like pretty much the one we're having now or just sharing stories like your own, um, do you think that certain actions like those kind of help to bridge these communities that sometimes tend to have preconceived notions about one another due to like media influence. We need those conversations to happen. And I just want to say, I am one of, of only two girls wearing the headscarf on campus. And I actually think the other girl just graduated. Um, so I've been thinking about going back and, and being that person again. You know, we have a small campus and much like the rest of, of the country, uh, our interactions mimic what goes on around and people do have preconceived notions. People, you know, we, we stereotype because we don't know. And my goal is always to, um, to make conversations happen. And I wish more spaces would allow for that. And colleges are a great place to start. As a Latina or my family at least didn't really teach me like it's you against another person or it's you versus another person or they just showed me, okay, these are the values that you're growing up with and this is your culture, right? Um, and there's other people out there with a different set of values and a different culture, but that's how far we got. There was no like educating me about the difference in culture. There was no educating me on this is why the women wear a hijab. There was none of that conversation. It was just like, oh, they have a different culture. But we live in, in a society where there is a very distinct narrative behind our cultures latinos arab it's just minorities right minorities are seen as like they each have their own narratives that they've built up or we haven't built up that they've built up for us they put us in a box but i see in the way uh, sorry for this long-winded way of saying that i see that you've grown confidence while you're doing what you're doing because it's in your truth you've grounded yourself in your truth and this is what resonates with us this is why paula was able to resonate with your message being a Latina because it all puts us in in the same community that reminds that was that we can't be put in a box and we shouldn't be put in a box just because we decided to come to a country that 
should value this diversity a lot more. So have you seen this journey reflected, this confidence in you reflected in, the, in, the, in your audiences? I would say c- confidence comes when we know ourselves enough to, to walk in this world and not feel challenged all the time. And that's a stage that's not everyone gets to. You know, like you said, it's hard to, to walk in our shoes and to be in our, in our space and in, in my headscarf and not feel challenged or not feel, I am so often the only Arab in the room, the only Arab woman in the room, the only Arab woman wearing a headscarf in the room. And to me, I, I stopped thinking of that as a bad thing. I started thinking of that as, you know what? I am the first, but I hope I'm not the last. And that's where that confidence and that power comes from, of knowing that, you know, this is who I am and I'm not going to compromise who I am for others to accept me. And I will be perfectly aware of my differences and Sometimes I will, you know, answer questions and sometimes I won't because it, it really depends on who's asking and what's the purpose and am I being respected? Am I welcomed? Am I celebrated in that space? Sharing my story um, did give me huge confidence, but not, not that alone. It, it was, we all have to struggle before we we get to a place where we know ourselves enough to not continue to define ourselves by what's around us. And that's the interesting thing about identity is we're constantly defined by what's around us, right? If you're with a group of people like you, then you don't stand out. You don't stand out at all. If you're with people different than you, then you're, you're the only one there and you have to represent the entire group and the entire demographic. So it's, it's about a balance, I would say. And my, yeah, my advice is do, do not compromise. Do not change for the people you're surrounded with. Do not be apologetic. Um, celebrate yourself, celebrate your, cu- your culture, celebrate your, your values and hold on to them. Hold on to them hard. It's all identity. It's an identity crisis. I wrote something about this because I'm, I am I struggle with this daily of like when I go back home to Mexico, I don't feel Mexican enough. And then when I'm here, I don't feel American enough. And yet I'm both things. So it is an identity crisis. But if, as you're saying, if, if you don't compromise, if you stay true to who you know you are and you can be two things at once, right? That's the beauty and the complexity of being human. So have you noticed any similarities between what you're going through and the Latino community? Plenty. Um, yeah, plenty of similarities. Um, I, I think the Arabs and Latinos need to be friends more often. Let's just say that. <laughs> we are so similar, we don't even realize it. But the moment we do, it just, it just lights up for everyone. Um, I, I was actually thinking about that and thinking about you know, the way that the friendships um, I've enjoyed the most at Denison happen to be almost always um, Latinos and Hispanics because we, we share a lot of values. We share a lot of um, 
you know, we're, we're community people. We're tight net. We care about family. We care about food. Um, we, you know, we're the life of the party. We like to have fun. We're vocal. We're um, expressive. Yeah, we're, we're a lot of similar things. So you know how I'm also Mina, which Mina at our school is um, a concentration in the Middle East and Northern Africa. Do you find it weird when Latinos are interested in that? Or is it just kind of, what kind of sensation do you get when you see, I guess, another POC? Or would you classify even as a POC? Like, do you consider, I don't know, is that an appropriate term for me to also use for you? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So what kind of sensation do you get when you see someone from that community kind of wanting to learn more about your culture and your language and maybe your customs? I'm intrigued by it. I am equally intrigued by um, Latinos studying the Middle East and Islam and Arabic um, as much as I am by your culture. Um, You know, I've taken, like, what, three classes on Caribbean literature and Caribbean relations, and I'm constantly fascinated by um, these things and these relations. And And I think it's really admirable to study something um, that doesn't directly affect us. I don't know. I've had like two different experiences at school, at least with when kind of presenting myself as this Latina who's very interested in learning about Mina. Um, At least like when I first started Arabic, the professor I started off with kind of had these like misconceived notions about Latinos and constantly made jokes. And then now I have this professor who's amazing and just kind of I guess has realized that I've taken such a, I don't know. I like, I want to see our communities come together. And I like, that's clearly why I wanted to have this chat with you because I feel like there's so much more power and strength and unity than just being divisive. And at least like my whole family thinks it's weird that I want to focus on Mina for my concentration. Why did you decide to want to do this as in depth as you've done it, because I don't know if you know this, Sarah, but like Paula has really taken this on in, and I've read what she's written. I've, I've all of the social media posts that she's actually been doing are amazing, and it caused me to 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 also do my research. And I was like, oh my god, why didn't I know all of these things? Why don't we know all of these things? Why don't we highlight these things a little more in the Latino culture as well? I mean, I initially started off just wanting to take Arabic. I love languages. And I kind of was like, I grew up also kind of in a similar place as you, Sarah. I came to this country. I didn't know any English. And I came here alone with my mom. And she doesn't speak any English either. So I kind of was this translator for her, still am, um, to this very day. And within my community, Westchester tends to be like a hub, I guess, for immigrants. Um, And so I've always just kind of served as a translator and this type of person who in, has noticed this positive connection that comes with like language and how that can like merge communities. And I saw Arabic as an opportunity to do this. And I didn't think I'd get this far, to be honest. <laughs> but I think because of my professors at school and since it is kind of a small community, I've just grown to notice also that there's so many similarities between our cultures. There's so much of our language comes from Arabic. A lot of the things that we use in our food, a lot of the ingredients, a lot of the things in our music and and our dances kind of originate from Arabic culture. And I don't know, I, I, I'm just always a firm believer of 
the strength and numbers and unity. And I honestly, if I could solve world, like if I could just help the world and make it a better place by having like world peace, yes, that'd be amazing. Um, but I don't know. I think I've just wanted to kind of merge these two communities because there's so many different misconceptions, whether it's about Arabs or like Latinos and people assuming that all Latinos, as someone once said to me, um, are drug traffickers and these like terrible things. Like I'd want to change that. And I'm like trying to figure out how, but I feel like education is honestly the best way to do that. And that's why I think your experiences are very helpful because they definitely help to show other people that we're not the only ones going through these things. We're not the only ones migrating to this country and having to start from scratch. I think conversations start at home, which full circle goes back to what I told Sarah, which was I wasn't born in a household that talked about these things. And I think being the the young, like the youngest and most diverse generation that we are in the United States, it's it's starting these conversations, doing exactly what we're doing now. I think it's a good way to start. Paula, you said it beautifully. Um, you know, it's it's really about understanding shared history. It's about understanding that someone else is also going through this and reaching out instead of keeping to ourselves. I think the other thing I wanted to address is there is a lot of sensitivity nowadays. Um, there is a lot of, you know, claims of appro- appropriation. And I can see people uncomfortable when someone else is studying something or working in in a space that doesn't relate to them immediately. So in your position, you're studying the Middle East and North Africa, and I can very easily see someone going, oh, what are her motives or why? Or is she appropriating Arab culture? And my response to that is it's almost always never appropriation and always appreciation. That's a really clear line. And I wish more people would would err on the side of appreciation and say, you know what? It's it's beautiful that you're doing that. It's beautiful that you're learning this other language that you want to travel to this other country, try its foods, um, wear its clothes. I I think we we need to be kinder to ourselves and to others and to not judge everything so harshly. See, I've had the opposite reaction for my family. They see it as um, kind of similarly to what Andrea was saying. I was taught that there were other cultures, but that was the extent of it. My parents at that point just kind of they acknowledged that other cultures exist, but they just were kind of at the headspace where these other cultures are not as important as ours. Ours is on a pedestal, mm. theirs is down here. And at least with my family, whenever I've mentioned to them, oh, I'm studying Mina, or I want to go to Morocco and Jordan and do all this stuff, their first assumptions are you want to become in you want to become a Muslim? You want to join like these terrible assumptions just come out of that instead of oh no she just wants she likes learning she likes educating herself she's driven by knowledge this kind of a (laughs) what it's it's pretty much what I'm going for there's just these assumptions that you're doing something maybe with the wrong intention and I think that that's also a problem but then also how do you get communities to learn about each other and their history if there's always kind of this fear of you're doing something because you have the wrong intentions. Yeah, I'm wondering, do you think it's because 
our, our parents didn't think of difference much or do you think it's simply because they weren't exposed to it as much or um, it wasn't as big of a, of a thing when, when they were growing up? The things I worry about compared to the things my parents worried about my age around this time period were very different. Mm -hmm. um, I would say I had first world problems most of the time. I definitely struggled coming to the U.S. at this very start, but I guess my issues now are not really, they're probably, what am I going to take to school? Like, I have to pack COVID, this kind of a stuff, this, that kind of a thing. But I think our parents didn't really have, or at least my parents didn't really have the luxury of indulging in books and doing research and doing all this stuff. They kind of had to have a mindset where it was just them and the world. They were the ones who just had to fight for themselves. So they didn't have the time or luxury that I do to like do research on this or to talk about it. I think that's kind of where it starts. I don't know. I feel like we should have evolved by that, like past all that stuff by now. Andrea, what's your opinion on this? I think for sure my parents were not exposed to this at all. Being from Latin America, you're you live in a bubble and my parents we're from the border so that's even more bubbly because since we we accept this duality within us mm -hmm. since we're all both mexican and american it's very normal to be both things it's not until you go up north that you realize that oh wait i speak english and spanish funny both things because then you go to mexico and they're like you speak weird like and you don't look like us but you are us and and it's the same thing so i think my parents personally were probably not exposed to this. And if they were, as you say, Paulosa, at my age, my parents already had me. We're a generation that asks questions because when we come from such an, in all societies, oppressed as women, we've, we've been oppressed everywhere. Like no matter where the culture is, even in the United States for so long, minorities have been oppressed. What do they teach you? Calladita te ves más bonita. Be quiet, just don't ask. Just do what you're told and, and let's continue maintaining the peace as it is. So you, so you kind of learn not to ask these questions. I think that goes for my parents who were these immigrants. You're taught to just speak when you're told. Being this generation where we, where we know that there's power in unity and that there, we are diverse and we, we should speak up. And when we speak up, things happen we start asking the right questions and then this has led to, okay, wow, I didn't even know that the Arab and the Latino culture had so many things in common because I hadn't asked before and my parents hadn't asked before, right? So I think that in a large way, it comes from that. I think also the media plays a giant role in, in how we view ourselves and how we view others. And The world has evolved so much in the last few years that we now have access to things our parents would have never even dreamt of, you know? So it's, it's also about shifting the conversation and the sentiments around difference. I see young people now just so excited about difference. You know, they listen to music from different cultures, music they don't even understand, or they eat um, different cuisine. But... We, we were a lot more sheltered, all of us, um, years years ago, and that that was just ingrained in, in our parents and our grandparents. And like you said, um, so many people, you know, they believe their culture is the best and everyone else is just different. 
So what, what does that even mean? And, and how do we unpack that? <laughs> I often just blame it all on public education. Um, <laughs> really, because all we've, I don't That's think- hours I, of unpacking to do when we get into the <laughs> public education I mean, system of our- No, nation. but I mean, it's true. I don't think I ever learned anything about Northern Africa or the Middle East in at my school like throughout the 12 or something years that I was there I just I don't think there was ever that conversation I just I mean this happens everywhere but here we're just kind of taught the U.S. we're superior like superpower like all this stuff and then everything else is just kind of brushed aside and there's never any there's just a bunch of lack of knowledge and people then obviously just have these assumptions like of certain cultures because they don't ever learn about it and I mean I was explaining to Andrea the other day that like ojalá comes from Arabic Latino culture you say that so often I think I say it I don't know I say that way too many times throughout the day and our cultures are so similar to one another and we still tend to kind of put them in two separate bubbles that just can never intermingle I guess we're obviously going to be interconnected all cultures somehow in some way. I think you're both right in that if you look back at your textbooks from history classes that you took in elementary, think of how cartoony they make other cultures look like the stereotype. And that's the level of what they show. If, if they show you the history of other cultures, that's kind of the level that they get you to in Texas, where I went to high school, the title of the class was Texas history. That's it. And, and then I had the opportunity to study in Europe one year. And what do they teach you in Europe? European history. We don't know what happened in the United States or anywhere else. Like, I don't know what they do in other places in the world, but it goes back to the boxes. It's so easy to put every culture in a very cartoony box. The media, what do they do? Latinos, they're all portrayed as narcotraficantes and maids and the janitor. And all Arab people are terrorists. All uh, Russians are also terrorists, actually, and the villains in the story. And then (laughs) the same, you know, and like, obviously that is evolving. It's, I think it is getting better. And I think that they've started portraying a medley of things and everyone can be anything and um, which a lot of people are bothered by. But I think it's starting to reflect the, the, the actual world we live in back at us, which people should be more excited about. You're both right. It can be a number of things. Right now we had the privilege and as well as I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing yet about how connected we are to our phones and how we always know what's happening. I think that's kind of terrifying but also I think amazing about technology. I would say keep asking questions, keep talking. Uh, I know our parents say don't talk to strangers, do talk to strangers, Uh, get, get to know them, make friendships, be curious, learn, and speak up. And Sarah, where can we learn a little bit more about you and follow your work? So I'm a poet. Um, (laughs) These days, more more so than I am other things. You can find my website, www.sarahabureshid.com, or the website of my one-woman show, www.mapofmyself.com. And shout out to uh, my director, Larry Smith, And you can follow me on different social media. Thank you guys for for having me.
Hey guys, thank you for listening. Make sure to support your communities. It doesn't matter what you choose to advocate for, just go out there and help. Connect and inspire others to do the same. Download our podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts so you can stay up to date. And join our community on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at Latinikis. Reach out and let me know what's important to you. I'd love to hear what you have to say.